Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Father, we thank you. Lord, we rejoice in you because you've shown these things to us, to, to the weak and the humble, and to some of the important people you've hidden them. And so we just thank you for opening our eyes to wonderful, to miraculous, to amazing things in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. We're going to be talking about Jesus sending out the 70 today. We've been doing a series on the life of Jesus because we believe calling ourselves a Christian church, we should look at Christ. Don't you think that's a good idea? How often do churches talk about everything else except Jesus? And he is the example. The Bible says the express image of God the Father. He's everything. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. Everything is in him. All the promises of God. The Bible says, the NIV says, no matter how many promises God has made, in Christ they are yes. Everything's in him. Isn't that exciting? And so we're going to look at Jesus. And we're going to gain as we look at him. You know, the Bible says we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As we see him, we get changed and become like him. Isn't that amazing? It's like a mirror that changes you. You look in the mirror, you see him, and it changes you into his image. How wonderful is that? Boy, you're not that excited. I'm, I'm a bit more excited than you. <laughs> Praise God. So we're looking at Jesus, and, and we're asking God to open our eyes, not just our physical eyes, the eyes of our hearts, the ears of our hearts and our minds, to really let it sink in deep and let it change us. And so Jesus, we all know that he chose 12 disciples and he called them apostles. We know that. And there's a time when he sent them out in twos. Do you remember that story? It's in Mark 6, Matthew 10 and Luke 9, the same story. Jesus sends out the 12, two by two, and six little groups go off. They've been following Jesus and listening to him and and watching him and he's been telling them. But now suddenly they have to do it. Can you imagine? It's like... You know, when you sit in a classroom and you learn, you you learn to a certain degree. But if you're sitting in a class on how to do a parachute jump and you know you're about to jump out of the airplane in the next hour, I promise you, you really listen. Isn't that right? The disciples suddenly got a wake-up call. This is not just theory. We're going to do this. He sent them out two by two on their own. And then today we're looking at Luke chapter 10, where he then, after he sent out the 12, a few months later, he sent out 70. Now, bear in mind, although Jesus had thousands, many multiplied thousands of people following him, he he only had a few close, real believers. When, after he died and risen again and gone back to heaven, there were only 120 really true believers left in the upper room. And he's now sending out 70, which means pretty much the the majority of those real believers were the ones that he sent out. So these people had been following along with Jesus, getting bread and fish fed to them and enjoying all the multiplied miracles and healings and listening to teachings. Hey, it's such a great show. We are spectators. Wonderful. We just, what a wonderful show this is. And suddenly, I have to go? And he gets, they'd seen the 12 go out and they thought, okay, they're apostles. The great Peter, the great John. Yeah, yeah, fine. They've done miracles. But then Jesus says to the 70, pretty much the whole of his 
real believers, the real crowd who were with him, he says to them, now the 70, you go two by two. And this is relevant for us, friends, because for too long, church has been, I come to a show, I pay my little contribution, and I watch somebody else do the show on the front, and actually what the whole of the New Testament is, is no, it's us. You are the 70. I am the 70. You might say, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. I, I'm not ready to be doing anything. The great news is God is very gracious. He, he only pushes us out of the nest gently. You know? But if you stay in church for long enough, the gentle nudges will get harder and harder. I've heard about eagles. You know, when the little eaglet gets old enough and um, its feathers have now come in and it's ready to fly, it feels like it's still a chick. It feels like it can't fly. It feels like mummy eagle must continue to feed it. But you know what mummy eagle does? She starts to pluck out of the nest all the soft downy feathers in the nest, first of all. And then she plucks out all the other soft stuff until there's just sharp sticks in the nest. Did you know that? And eventually, if the little eaglet won't jump out, Mum will gently nudge it towards the edge, and eventually, if it still won't go, she'll give it the left hoof of fellowship, and it'll go. And the little eagle falls out and says, I can't do this. I'm not ready. I'm not qualified. I thought I could just come and be a spectator and get fed lovely food every Sunday. But I want to warn you, if you stay long enough, you're going to get kicked out. Not of the church. <laughs> but you're going to get kicked out to go and do this stuff. And we are the 70. That's the great news. So let's read this story. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So before his face, they've been in front of his face. They've known Jesus face to face. They've had fellowship with him. They've loved him. They've watched his expressions. They've enjoyed his presence. Wonderful worship like we had this morning. We're in his face, in his presence. The word face and presence is the same word in the Old and the New Testament. I don't know if you knew that. But we're in his face. We're loving it. But then it says he sent them out from before his face to the places he was about to go. He wants to go into the office buildings, into your home, into your uh, block of apartments, into that old age home near you, into the street where there's people who you don't know. He wants to go there, but he wants us to go first. Isn't that amazing? Are you before his face? If you are, the next step is where he's about to go. You don't get to stay before his face. Amen? If you do, there's something wrong. If you do, you might think you're still before his face, but actually he's already gone to that place. You see what I mean? It's possible for a person to think, I'm just staying before his face. I've been here worshipping the Lord in church for 20 years. I think I'm still before his face. He's moved on. He's now out there. He's going where, where the lost people are. So he sent them from before his face to the places he was about to go. Where is Jesus about to go in your circle of friends? You know, there's people who you will reach, who you rub shoulders with, who you can touch, who no other Christian will ever touch, and they will never ever hear or see anything about Christ if you don't. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. 
The problem isn't with the harvest. I've heard so many Christians say, oh, it's such a tough place. England, Jersey, Europe, America. I mean, I've heard every place is a tough place. The harvest isn't the problem. The laborers are few. It's like a man who plants this wonderful harvest of potatoes or this wonderful crop and it's ready to be plucked and, and, and reaped, but there isn't enough people to get it in and he knows all of his money will be wasted, there'll be no food for this season, it'll all be gone and he'll probably be bankrupt if nobody goes and reaps the harvest and he's saying, please, will somebody help me reap this harvest? That's what Jesus is saying. The harvest is ready. But the laborers of you pray to the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. We think of him as the Lord of many things. Righteousness and justice and all that. He's the Lord of the harvest. He cares about that place. Them out there, as James said last week. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That word send out is ekbalo, which is... Translated elsewhere in the Bible, cast out. It, it's a forceful word. Kick out. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to, to send out laborers into the harvest field. I wonder if you're brave enough to pray that prayer. Because you might be the answer. I might be the answer. Do you want me to stop right there? I think it's getting a little bit too... Yikes. Okay. I'd rather go to theoretical parachute school, please. I'd rather just learn about it from a book. I wonder, if, I wonder how the 70 felt. They're sitting there, they've enjoyed the teaching, but now suddenly they realize that the realization dawns on them, it's, it's me, me. It's not him or her or her or him. It's me, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna do this stuff. Yikes. Verse three. A couple of these verses will come up on the screen as I read them. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. You don't have to worry about protection. You don't have to worry about your own personal reputation, people attacking you, your reputation in the bigger world, your finances, your family's well-being. He says all of those things. Don't worry about them. If you're doing my work, I will look after my employees. That's what he's saying here. Protection, provision, whatever you need. Reputation, your kids' finances, your kids' friends. The Lord says, I'll look after that. If you're doing what I'm telling you to do, I'll look after you. The problem is we sometimes think, I need to look after myself, organize my own finances, get my own everything organized, and then I'll serve the Lord. He says, no, no, you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. You get the order right, and everything works right. You get the order wrong, and you run around, the Bible says, Jesus says, run around like the pagans do, looking for all these things, and you never get them. Never satisfied, never enough, never happy. Family broken, all these problems. Why? Lord, I was trying to get everything sorted before I served you. He says, no, serve me. And all those other things will come right. There's some gems here. I'm not sure if you guys, I think I'm preaching better than you're under, responding or <laughs> understanding. Good. Good. But verse 5. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. He talks about peace like it's a thing. He talks about it like it's a hat or a coat. 
When you enter a house, leave your peace there. If a son of peace is there, your peace will remain on him. If not, you'll get your coat back. Peace is a thing. Do you have it? Do you have this peace of God? We get peace with God, then we'll get the peace of God, and then we can give the peace of God to others, and they become Christians. It's an amazing thing, that. He says, if a son of peace is there, and we're going to talk about what is a son of peace a bit later, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. I think our gospel for too long, the Christian gospel, has been a gospel of anything other than peace. It's been a gospel of confrontation. It's been a gospel of guilt, make people guilty enough to get into heaven. It's been a gospel of arguing. It's been a gospel of hype and, and pretend. If I can just trick people that, you know, oh, so many were healed this weekend. Meanwhile, they weren't really healed. It's been a gospel of everything other than peace. Peace is our gospel. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the gospel of peace. That's what Romans 10, 17 says. Uh, Ephesians, the, the armor of God, says, have your feet shodded with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's a gospel of peace. We're supposed to be peace bringers. They say, oh, that Christian. What do people say when they think of you as a Christian or us as Christians? Oh, those fuddy-duddy Christians, those killjoy Christians, those boring Christians, those aggressive Christians, those argumentative, judgmental. What? It should be those people who bring peace. When they walk in the room, peace. Not, I'm here to tell you hellfire and brimstone and you're going to perish. No, it's peace. The gospel of peace. I bring my peace. If a, a man of peace is there, it'll remain on him. If somebody receives my gospel, it'll remain on him. If not, it'll return to me. And he goes on to say what happens then. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Notice it's house. Again, we think of evangelism. You know, we've got a weird view of evangelism. We think I've got to be Billy Graham to be an evangelist. I've got to be qualified. I've got to have all these amazing abilities and spiritual gifts. I've got to be able to organize a, a massive crowd. And I've got to speak to this massive crowd. And I've got to do these things that only a superhuman Christian minister can do. And unfortunately, there are quite a few of those superhuman Christian ministers. So they make the normal people like us feel inferior. And we hide our gift and we bury it and we say oh lord i was scared so i didn't use the talent that you give me and this says you go to a house not a big not a massive meet it's a house you go to a house and you stay in the same house he says you don't go from house to house i wonder if the jehovah's witnesses have read this verse <laughs> that's what it says it says you go to one house and you stay there you don't move around you, stay, you build a relationship out of peace. If there's a man of peace who loves you, he receives you, you stay in his house, you eat what he gives you because provision will flow where you're doing what the Lord wants you to do. And out of that, a community of believers will grow. That's biblical evangelism. It's not this, I zoot in, I hit the town and I do this, wow, 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 and then I leave and everyone's left. What on earth hit me? It's one house at a time. That's evangelism. Amazing stuff. Verse 8. Sorry, verse 9. Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
That's us. Again, we think it's some amazing minister who's got this gift. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, These signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. All of us. It's us. It's not some amazing person. The reason it's not happening in your life, maybe, is because you think you're not qualified. Meanwhile, you are. You've got it in you. You just need to try. Wow, could that be true? Imagine that. Imagine you were at the office or in a supermarket. You saw a friend. You're talking about the price of green peppers. And they say, my wrist has been killing me. And you say, you just shake hands with them with the sorest. You say, can I say a quick prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for the kingdom of God healing this wrist. In Jesus' name, wrist be made whole. You say, how's it feel? I say, oh, it's a bit better. You just lay hands again. You say, Lord, in Jesus' name, make this healing complete. I'm telling you, if we did that on a daily basis, we may not succeed every time, but we would see much, much more than when we don't try at all. Whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. He's saying not everyone is going to love you. <laughs> not everyone is going to love you. You keep your peace. You're a lamb among wolves. You remain peaceful, loving, gentle. You turn the other cheek. You don't respond angrily when someone kicks you out or is horrible to you. You keep your peace. But understand, not everyone will love you. And that's okay. We shake the dust off our feet, we keep our hearts pure, we love them, we're not bitter, we move on to the next place. And we understand that it's Jesus they're rejecting and not us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I don't have to worry if people don't receive me. I don't have to worry if in the office there's a little crowd of people who talk about me and snigger the Christian who goes to church. That's okay, it's Jesus they're rejecting. I'm full of God's love and peace. Let's move on. Then the 70, verse 17, I'm jumping ahead. The 70 returned with joy. So, they were so surprised, <laughs> the 70. They went out, they, were, they didn't know what they were doing. They just went out and tried this stuff. You know, the kingdom of heaven and praying for healing. And they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Completely surprised. They would have tried with a tiny bit of faith. Lord, please heal this, this person. And, and the demonic thing would have left and they would have gone, wow! Surpri not huge giants of faith. Not amazingly qualified people. They were just trying. Just stepping out a little bit. We can do this, people. We are little eaglets who've got our feathers. And understand, it's not our feathers. We are abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. We're resting under His wings. And it's His power, His Spirit, it's His everything. We just step out in faith and use it and give Him all the credit for it. And we're going to see the same results they saw. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Christian, let me read that again. Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority 
to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing. All the power. It's his power and it's complete. Nothing shall hurt you. Nothing can come against you. Why? Because I'm doing his work. You see, when I'm using most of my time, energy, resources, and emotional uh, abilities to earn money for myself or something else, or church is just a little bit that I do once a week, I'm taking myself out from under his wings. He's not the one who's weak. I'm the one who's choosing to walk out on my own. But when I'm doing what he's telling me to do, you say, Greg, does that mean I'm supposed to give up my job? No. It means your job is your mission field. <laughs> Suddenly I change what I, the reason I go to work in the morning. I think I'm doing this as one of the 70. I'm going out in Jesus' name. And every person I meet, I'm going to see, are they a son of peace? And I'm going to allow my peace, the peace and the power of God to rest on them. And suddenly I change the purpose of my life. It's not about me anymore. It's not about building my bank account or rising up the ladder or, or impressing people or whatever. It's about God's mission. And when I do that, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all of these other things come into place. Nothing shall hurt you. Nothing. You have authority over every power of the enemy. I've heard Christians who say, I'm, I'm too scared to fight to pray against the devil. If we're doing what God wants us to do, if we just change our mindset and say, Lord, I'm yours, then nothing will hurt us. Then he says this, I love this verse, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. These 70 were Christians. Their names were written in heaven already. And that's an important verse. When you look later on when the people got filled with the Spirit in uh, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. They were already Christians. We've, we know from this verse. Then he says, in that hour, verse 21, I love this, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. And, and the Greek there for rejoiced is overflowed with gladness and excitement. It's the one time where we see Jesus just getting so excited. It says he rejoiced in the Spirit. And if you look in the Greek words, it's, it's an extremely expressive word. He was so excited in the Spirit. It was like he was giggling and laughing and jumping up and down with joy in the Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Jesus rejoiced. The disciples rejoiced. There was just overflowing joy. Not only is there protection, provision, purpose but there's this overflowing sense of joy when I'm doing what God wants me to do I'm full of joy because I'm seeing answers to my prayers but the joy of Jesus he's just thrilled with excitement and it bubbles up within me because his spirit is in me and I find this extreme joy welling up within me like a bubbling joy I don't know if you've ever had it I've had it many times at meetings where I just can't stop laughing but this is an even greater joy it's like an abiding joy when no matter how bad the circumstances are no matter what's going against me there's a joy in me that cannot be suppressed why because I'm I've changed my mission in life and I'm one of the 70 okay I want to just 
That's pretty much the sermon, but I just want to highlight one or two things, and they're going to start with the letter P. The first is peace. Our gospel is the gospel of peace. We've already said that our gospel is not about confrontation, about making feel, people feel guilty or fearful. You know, sometimes we think it's about boxing a person into a corner. If I can argue them into becoming a Christian, or if I can guilt them into it, or if I can scare them into it, uh, then, I, then I've won the, won the day. But actually, it's about bringing God's love and God's peace. And sometimes they will respond well, sometimes they won't. We need to understand our gospel is a gospel of peace. What is a son of peace? He says, if a son of peace is there, he will receive you. A son of peace is somebody who is favorable towards you, who receives what you're saying, who smiles at you, who likes you, who agrees, who will take you in and have a meal with you. That's a son of peace. We've got to find those people. Too often we think, I've got to argue with the person who's the most argumentative and the, and the, the hardest nut to crack. I've got to try and get him. No, no, look for the easiest, low-hanging fruit. Look for the person who's already smiling. And, you know, even the new ager who doesn't know about Jesus, but they talk about angels and crystals and this and that. They're open to spiritual things. You say, hey, have you thought about Jesus? I went to church, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and they, they may be open to it. They're a son of peace. Then you move in and that's where you go with it. We don't look for the hardest person to crack. Um, the gospel of peace I've already spoken about. So peace is the first one. The second one is power. You know, we have the same power. The, the, the same Holy Spirit that they had, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible says, Romans 8 and various other places, says we have that Spirit and that power within us. Some people have said to me, Greg, how do you know that the, the commission, the words to the 12 and the 70 are for me? Greg, I don't, I don't accept that that's for me. I, I think it was for them, uh, or maybe for the 70, or maybe for you, Greg, and maybe James and one or two others in the church. Maybe it's for you, but it's not for me. Do you remember in the, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them. Then what did he say? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Just think about that for one second. Jesus told them to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything he had commanded them. If he commanded them to go out and to have authority over the sick and to make disciples and to be, look for sons of peace and all that, he's commanding us the same things, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, teach them to do the same. It applies to us and the power is for us. You know, in my experience in Christian life, the people who question and say, is this God or isn't it, is it, is it? They never really are on the front foot. They, they're shrinking back and wondering, is this for me? But the people who are of faith step forward and say, I'm grabbing this, even if I'm not really sure. You remember Peter on the boat when the waves are going in the middle of the night and Jesus is walking on the water? He says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. That's the kind of faith that's not shrinking back and looking for a reason why it's not for me. It's looking even when I'm in doubt, to say, if that's you, I'm coming. Lord, if there's a chance that this could apply to me, I'm taking it. And that's the kind of faith that'll, that'll move forward, that'll get the job done. Process is my next. So peace, power, the next is process. I believe that people do not become Christians from 
complete pagan to complete Christian in one meeting. And I might, you might want to argue with me about this. I believe it's a process. I believe a person starts off far, far from God, not knowing anything about God, and they meet various Christians, and they watch them over time, and they look at their character, and they see, are they a trustworthy person? Are they a nice, loving person? Are they a kind person? Do I like the fruit that's coming out of their lives? And after they've met several Christians, and they've heard many people give them little seeds of the gospel, they might get invited to a meeting and they might go and eventually they'll put their hands up or they'll come to the front and they'll pray a prayer and we'll say, yay, they become a Christian. They became a Christian over a period of time and it was many people who sowed the seeds in that process to them becoming a Christian. People are far from the Lord and then there's a process of them getting closer and closer and closer and eventually they make a decision. The process is what you and I are supposed to be involved in. The Bible says Jesus sent the 70 out to all the places he was going to go. They weren't making converts where they went. They were getting people ready to meet Jesus. I'm not sure you're following me with this. When we are witnessing in our workplace, in our home, with our family, our friends, or people we don't know, we sometimes think I'm a failure because I didn't get a, a decision. I didn't get a result. And I want to say to you, you are part of the process. You are going ahead of Jesus. They are going to meet him. But if it wasn't for you, they would never move along the process to the place where they will meet him. You are vital in that process. And don't be discouraged. Every single person who becomes a Christian is usually... I can't say 100% because I don't know for sure. But I believe 99% of the time, it's a process of several Christians witnessing and showing their life to them and eventually they make a decision and those of, of us who get to have those altar calls at meetings and call people to the front we look like we're the ones who you know got the person saved we're not it's that tiny little last step when they made a decision it's the big amount of work beforehand that really counts and that's all of us so it's a process and then lastly proximity is my last point. You know, if we are not rubbing shoulders with non-believers, it is impossible for us to spread the gospel of peace. If we only mix with Christians, if we don't want to mix with non-Christians at all, we will never be the 70. Jesus said to them, go. Go to places where... There's all sorts of stuff happening. People who don't agree with me, who don't love me. Who, there's all manner of people out there. Jesus said, "Go only when you're rubbing shoulders, only when you're there, only when you're touching the world can the gospel of peace start to make an effect in the world. Salt is only effective when it's poured out of the salt cellar and it's on the food. Light is only effective when the cover is taken off and the light is going into the darkness. You and I have to be out there in the world. We should be involved with things where we can meet non-believers. Amen? We should be having dinner with people, inviting people around for meals. We should be going to clubs, sports clubs and hobby clubs and things to meet people who are not believers. We should be mixing with people at work and, and others. And they may not all like us. That's fine. Some of them are sons of peace.
And when you find that son of peace, the peace of God comes out of you and there's a joy and an excitement and you sense it and you say, God's power is here. Peace rests on them. They may not make a decision immediately. You may just be one link in the long chain of them becoming a Christian. But I promise you, when you're in that place, God's power is flowing. God's protection is all over you. His peace is coming out of you and you're rejoicing greatly and saying, thank you, Father, for what you're doing in my life. Now, all we need to do is say, am I willing? You see, it's not our goodness. It's not your goodness. It's not how qualified you are, how much of the Bible you know. It's not how much of a good Christian you are. Obviously, we, we, if we're out there mixing with the world, our witness, if we start talking badly about other people or swearing or living in an, an immoral life, that's going to be a problem. But Generally, it's not our goodness that gets people saved. It's the love and the life and the joy and the peace of God in us that's going to get people saved. I've just got to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to mix with non-Christians. I'm willing to change my perspective. And I'm willing to tell people who I meet, I am a Christian. That's pretty much all I have to do. I'm a Christian. I go to church. You put a little thing on your desk, a little Bible verse or screensaver on your computer... You can wear a little thing on your wrist or whatever. Just, and if people ask, what did you do this weekend? You say, oh, we had a great time at church. That's enough. Because then they're just watching you. You don't have to preach a huge sermon. They're just watching you. He says he's a Christian. Is there peace coming out of him? Is the fragrance of Christ being spread? Or is he a bitter, negative, unhappy person? And if the peace is flowing out, you will bring people to Christ. You may not see that final decision, but I promise you, you will do it. Let's stand together, friends. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to be one of the 70, Lord. Lord, up until now, I've been part of the crowd. I've hidden behind other people. I've been a nameless, faceless one of many. But Lord, I'm willing to step up. I'm willing to change the way that I see my life, Lord to change the way I see what I do on a day-to-day -day basis and turn it into part of your mission. Going out there, preparing people with peace so that when they meet you, they're ready. I'm willing, Lord. God, I thank you that you've given me the power. You've said you've given me the power that I need. And Lord, I ask you now to use me. Use these hands. Use this face. Use this voice. Use my emotions, my character. Use my skills. Use every part of me. Lord, let your peace flow out of me on a day-to-day -day basis. I pray, Lord, that I would show people your love, your mercy, your peace, your joy in every situation, even the difficult ones. I pray, Lord, that it would flow out of me. And I pray, Lord, that you would use every single one of us in this room today. Use us, Lord, to spread your peace to all those people who are going to meet you one day. Use me, Lord. Friend, if that's you, I want you to just, between you and God, just say, yes, Lord, that's me. Lord, I devote my efforts, my energy, my time, everything I am to you and to your mission. I give it to you, Lord. Use it for your glory, I pray. And anoint me now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. 
Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.